Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts, and I'm here with my co-host, Wynne Morgan. Hi, Wynne. Hello, Kate. How are you? I am well, thank you. And you? I'm well, too. And today we are joined by Natasha. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Kate. Hi, Wynne. Hi. Lovely to have you here. So, Natasha, one of our favorite things to do is to start out this conversation when we have somebody as a guest, we essentially put it to them. What would you love for people to know about you? Could be anything. Mm. Uh, I'm very ordinary. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most important thing. I live with my husband in the countryside and we live a very quiet life. I, I love um, sharing the three principles with people in my uh, practice one-to-one. I do seminars and um, I love speaking at conferences and uh, I really, really love being on the board of the three principles global community. It's, it's incredible and very meaningful to be able to work towards a shared vision of getting the work of Sydney Banks out into the world. So I'm, I feel very privileged and honored to be part of that team. When were you first introduced to the principles? 10 years ago. It was actually in May of 2012 that I met a woman named Kimberly Hare in England. And Kimberly had just gotten into the principles. She was a, a longtime friend of Michael Neal. She'd known him for about, I think, 15 years prior to to him getting into the principle. So when he made that shift from NLP into the three principles, she kind of was very curious about that. And so when I met her, she said, oh, you must look into this three principles. And Michael's coming to London in a couple of weeks. Why don't you join me? So I flew over and went to a weekend seminar called Coaching from the Inside Out with Michael. And I was fascinated by these apparently magical things have happened, these incredible transformations. And being from an NLP background myself and a psychotherapist and and teaching coaching for most of my adult life, I was looking with these eyes going, what's going on? I, I can sort of see what's going on, but not really. And yet these transformations were happening. So it got me really curious about what's this all about? So that started me on the journey of uh, wanting to go deeper into this exciting understanding. And so I started going to other uh, seminars, reading books, seeing videos and all of this. So that started my journey. Almost 10 years next month, yeah. Do you remember some of the transformations that really got you curious in the beginning? Well, I don't remember them from the seminar. I do remember my own transformations, which are that, for instance, I used to have a a very hmm, uh, conflict-based relationship with my mother, 
which I think is very normal. Um, and uh, I remember noticing that the things that used to trigger me didn't trigger me anymore. So that, that was something that changed where she would come, she would say what she usually said, and the reaction that I would usually have just didn't come. And I was like, huh, well, I'm calm. What's going on? What has shifted? And that started, I started noticing that maybe six months into this understanding. And that just continued. Uh, things in my relationships got better, not only with my husband, but with my family, with friends. Things that used to bother me didn't bother me. It just kind of, I didn't even notice it. It was just things fell away magically by themselves. It seemed like it was magically. And I couldn't really pinpoint it. I couldn't say why it happened. It just did. So that was quite wonderful. We were swapping notes earlier about when you and I first met, and it actually goes back longer than we both thought. It was the it was the summer then of 2012, because I was at that. Oh. I out in London at that time. Oh, how fun. But of course, we didn't make that much of an impression of each other on that point. To, to be honest, there was a lot of people. Was there, I don't know, 60, 70 people in the room? Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun few days. Fun it few was. Days. We could have been coaching each other. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I'm glad neither of us take it personally that we don't remember each other from that. Yes. Right? Yes. So we're that kind of enlightened <laughs> on it. But here's what I'm really curious about then, because you and I started spending more time together in 2017. Um, I, again, um, with Michael Neal, who was... Um, we're both blessed to know quite well yes. over the years. Yeah. What, what were some of the transformations in that five years between 2012 and 2017? Because I know you did a lot. But I, I, I you know, in that time, that was a, a lot happened in that five years. And you talked about your relationship with your mother and your relationship with other other people as well but say more about what changed for you please well i think the biggest transformation happened in 2014 when i met dick bettinger when he got up on the stage in, in the london conference he blew me away he explained more clearly than i'd ever heard before the bridge between the psychological and the spiritual and it felt like coming home it felt like i heard something that just, it just landed for me then. And I, I, I was with my friend Kimberly here and I turned to her and I said, that's my teacher. That's what I've been longing for. That this is what I wanted to hear. And I didn't know until I heard it. And then I went to a seminar with Dickin a couple of weeks later in Sweden. And uh, funnily enough, I had already signed up for the, for the seminar in Sweden, not knowing who he was. A couple of Swedish friends had told me and my husband about him. And I said, who? And they said, this guy, Dickin Bessinger from, from America. We said, hey, let's go over, hang out, stay at a cool hotel, you know, have a couple of drinks in the bar. And maybe he's good and maybe he's not. And then when I heard him in London, I went, yes. I actually called my husband on the first break saying, Dickin Bessinger, yes, it's going to be fabulous. So we sat on the first row listening to him all weekend. And then when that uh, seminar ended, I said, Dick, and I'd love for you to be my mentor. 
And he, he said, cool. So we started mentorship the same week as I got home from Sweden. I think we ended Sunday, Thursday, we had our first session. And I was on fire. I just felt like this, this is it. And all I wanted to speak about was consciousness. We had eight sessions about consciousness, all I was interested in. And after the fourth session, we had written emails back and forth because every time I uh, had a conversation with him, I would reflect on what had been said. I would write down, send him an email. He would send an email back with his reflections and my reflections. And then I would reflect on his reflections and so on. So after the fourth, um, e uh, the fourth session, which was after four weeks, I had this sense that, gosh, this looks like a book. But of course, being this two years into the principles, uh, you know, having this mentor who has been at the time probably 30 years into the principles, the thought of writing a book with him seemed impossible. There was like, there was no way that, that he would say yes to this. So I kept making myself small. I, may, I kept thinking, no, that can't, that can't happen. But it just kept coming and kept coming. And then... Finally, I just went, you know what? He can just say no. You know, I can't. What, what, what's, what can I possibly lose? So on the fifth session, I said, Dickon, you know, we've got all these emails and I really love our conversation. You know, I, I feel like we could write a book together. And he said, I've been thinking the same thing. What? What? Are you kidding me? Um, so I said, well, let's finish these eight sessions and then start the book. And he said, fine. And we did. So that really got me on, on, on this path because having to write something, one thing is just to talk about it, which is also can be challenging, but to write it down so that people read it. Um, so it really had me slow down, had us both slow down and, and every single word had to go through both of us. We really had to feel like, is this true? You know, is this, is this ordinary? Is this helpful to people? So every single word we wrote came through those three things. Is it helpful? Is it true? Is it ordinary? And how do you know if something is true? Well, the only way we could know it was true is if it resonated with us. And so truth is one of these things that I'm just always fascinated with because there's so many truths, right? Well, not really. There is, there is only one truth, but how do we come to that truth? We don't come to that truth through our intellect. We come through it to it through knowing. And so the whole book is created from knowing, from wisdom, from us being guided, from us knowing when the intellect would take over. And it's it's actually quite noticeable when the intellect starts taking over because one of us would start saying something and the other one would go, gosh, that's that's just not really it, is it? And then, and then we would drop it and go, we probably need a break now. We'd come back after the break and something fresh would come. So the whole book is written with one voice. It's come from both of us at the same time. And um, it's what resonated with us. And the book is now translated into 10 languages and another three are coming this year. And people keeps telling us it resonates. It seems timeless. So it's, it's fascinating that something that I didn't think could happen, um, happened, and it became something that none of us had thought.
could 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 be so popular could could have that kind of um yeah just people wanting to read it so yeah and if you don't know it's a book called coming home was it published 2016 was am i right in remembering that yeah 16 yeah it took us almost two years we started in 14 just a couple of months after we met that was quite fascinating we met in in uh, May, no, maybe June, and then we started writing in July, I think, something like that. Very cool. And uh, I heartily recommend anyone reading it. I remember being very touched when I read it oh, a few thanks. months after it came out. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, though, when you heard Dickin speak at the conference back in 2014, and you said that it was the link between the psychological and the spiritual. Mm. And I'd love for you to share what you see about that now. Mm. Well, it was so interesting because since I was a teenager, I think even 12 years old, I was always interested in psychology and spirituality. And it seemed like two different things. And so I would, I would go to a psychological seminar or read a psychological book. And then I would go to a spiritual seminar and read spiritual books and so my, my life was like trying to find out what, what are these two and how are they connected, if they are connected. And the connection is this spiritual power of thought. And when he said that, when I suddenly saw thought as being a spiritual power rather than what psychologically is going on in my head, when I saw that, this, that it's something that arises in all of us, it's, it's just naturally what happens. It's, it's a principle. It's, it's, it's a given. When I saw that, I went, oh, now I see. Now I get it. It was just such a deep sigh of relief in a way because I've just been looking for that always. So a lot of people talk about the, the principles as a new psychological paradigm. And I'm like, it's not. It's a spiritual understanding. A psychological paradigm would make it one of many psychological paradigms that have been. And a psychological paradigm is always about, well, there's something wrong and something needs to change. And here are the steps. That's, that's part of psychology. And here is, it's a spiritual understanding. You are already perfect. You are formless being. You're being lived by this life. And what can we say about life? We can say about life that it's intelligent, it's wise, it's creative, it's conscious. And so suddenly there was like, oh, I'm being lived by this greater power. And it's giving me the capability to make choices in life, to think, to have actions. It was, it was suddenly, it just completely shifted the way that I'd always thought things were. And of course, now I see in my work that that's what happens with people when they see this connection um, that, wow, I'm lived by this spiritual, um, I am spir my, my nature is spiritual. So I can't break. What a, what a shift to know that what you are cannot break. That's, that, was, that, was a, that was really the, the, the biggest transformation for me. So that's 
how I see it. And that's also what I, what I share with people that you're not broken, no matter what. I spoke to a, a young lady just earlier today who said that she had PTSD and 18 years of hell, her first 18 years in life. And, and I said, there's hope. You are not broken. And, and she heard something and she was intrigued and would go home and read a book <laughs> about it and we'll see if she comes back. But it's just like the hope that happens and you can see it in people's eyes when they start to see, when somebody says to them with great confidence, you're not broken. No matter what happened in your life, you cannot break because you are not your body. You are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings or your experiences. You are that which is aware of your body, your thoughts, your feelings and experiences. And so seeing that more deeply is just changes people's lives like, like magic, like what I saw Michael do all those years ago. Um, one question I had for you um, as a build on that was if you were having all those eight sessions with Dickin about consciousness, how would you summarize them? And, and you're going to hint at that, but I wondered if there was something else that you wanted to say about those conversations about the nature of consciousness. I think both of us really got a deeper sense of that because when you start to put words on something that's formless, in one sense, you can't. What are you going to say about something that doesn't have a form? But we started, both of us, to get more a sense of that it is who we are. It's also what Sydney Banks said. We, we are consciousness. We are conscious beings. And I now see it as the... As everything. Everything arises from consciousness. Have you ever seen a thought being put into your head? No, you haven't. It arises in, it's inside of you. A thought arises inside of you. Where does it disappear to? Have you ever seen a thought go out of your head? No, you haven't. So it also disappears inside of you. It, and and what, do you, what does it mean inside? It means inside of consciousness. So once we realize that consciousness is where everything arises from, it's where everything is known from, so it knows all of our experiences, but it's not affected by our, our experiences. That's, that's huge. To see that I can have a horrible experience, it doesn't affect who I am, doesn't affect consciousness. It's just aware of it. So I can either be caught up in the foreground of my experience when I don't know that I am consciousness, and then I'll be in that turmoil, or I can rest back into and know that I am consciousness and that the experience is not affecting who I am. That's, it's, that, that's, that's everything. So consciousness is everything. And that's, that's what I see more deeply now. And it continues. It's a beautiful journey of continuing to see the depth of that. In our email exchange before today, and when Kate and I asked you what you'd enjoy talking about, mm. you talked about possibilities, and that was again something that you mentioned in in the email exchange that you had with Dickin back in 2014, and all of a sudden what you thought, oh, 
you know, I, it couldn't possibly. And then all of a sudden it did. I'd love to hear more about what you see in that, the world of possibility right now. It's kind of like, you know, right now it's spring and it feels like we have a house and a, a garden, a quite big garden, and it's full of possibility. I have no idea what will come up. <laughs> I know there will be some grass, probably, but all kinds of things can, can come up from, from the... I don't think elephants or giraffes are going to magically appear, but it feels like life itself is this potential for anything to arise. Anything can come from that. And the, the thing is that most people limit themselves in what they believe can arise. They believe that they are a certain person and, oh, I could never ask Dickin about writing a book or I could never, you know, study to become a doctor or I could never, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's fascinating how beliefs that people have about themselves hold them down, stop them. And, and so this life itself is full of potential. It's full of possibility. Anything can happen. So how do we connect more with that sense of living beyond what we think? Living beyond my beliefs, living beyond who I think I am, what I think I'm capable of. And once people start letting go of those beliefs and seeing that life itself is so full of potential that we don't know what is, then something magical starts happening with us. Something we start living in this freedom space that moves us in a direction that always feels right. We learn to get a sense of when we're moved in the right direction and when it feels contracted. So whenever I think about something that for instance, I used to, uh, for the first 26 years of my um, life as a self-employed uh, business consultant, I, I loved going into businesses. And then about six months ago, I didn't enjoy it anymore. I was going to teach at the Danish Technical University and I felt contraction. I was like, that's interesting. I, I love going to the Danish Technical University. They are so bright. They're all PhDs and it's so fun. It was not fun. I hated every minute of it. And so I called my, my husband on the way home on the car and I said, I'm miserable. Um, I, you know, I, I need to talk when we get home. And he said, all right. I came home. I said, can I please stop doing my, my business consultant trainings? And he said, of course. He said, what happened? Did you have a bad day? I said, no. I mean, the, the people were lovely and bright as they always are. I didn't enjoy it. I knew it was in, it was time to end. So I went the next day, it was a two-day seminar. I went, I thought, this is the last day I'm ever going to go in a corporation. After 26 years, it's quite a big thing. You, should, you would think it was a big thing. It was the most easy decision ever. I went in, did my last day. It went beautifully. And the next day I called the HR person at the university. I said, thank you for 20 years of... of um, you know, engaging me in, in these trainings, um, I want to stop. And she said, well, congratulations. We've hired you all next year, though. I said, I know. Uh, let me find you another teacher. And, and I did. Um, it was easy. 
So there's this sense when that life moves us. Now, have you asked me just a week before, you know, if I would ever end or stop doing business seminars? I would have said, no, why would I? I enjoy it. <laughs> it's fun. And it was just easy. And I've never looked back. It's, I mean, it's only six months ago, but it's, it, it just feels so right. So there's a knowing that's beyond what I thought. I thought that, oh, I can't stop that. That's like, you know, 75% of my income. I can't possibly go down to, to 25%, right? I just, I just did. Um, and, and so I, I really see how people, and, and myself included, have, have kept myself small in some areas. And I hear it in people's, oh, but I'm a, you know, a personality type, or I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an introvert, so I can't possibly, or, you know, all these labels that we use about ourselves, keeping ourselves small and not seeing that life is full of potential. It keeps living. And the more we listen to life moving us inside of us, the easier it gets. It's, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, just seeing the, the past 10 years where I am today, I, I wouldn't have thought that 10 years ago. But I really learned to listen and to, to allow myself to be guided by something that's much smarter than me, much bigger than me. We're talking about the intelligence behind all of life, all of the universe. How can I possibly know what's right for, for little me? I can't, but I'm, I've become quite good at, at sensing where I'm being moved to. And, and I listen, I listen to that inner guidance and to the potential. And it's fun. That was just lovely to listen to that, Natasha. Really cool. And that was um, a beautiful example of living beyond what we once thought. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone listening who doesn't know 3PGC or uh, even 3 Principles, because we've talked about it explicitly in a couple of episodes Kate and I have and it's everything we've talked about really comes back to the same notion of the principles as discovered by Sydney Banks how would you describe it in a way that anyone could get a quick synopsis of what that is all about one the quick synopsis is really just two things. The first thing is we live in a thought-created reality. Right? We all live in, 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 in a world of our own thinking. We think it's real. We think we're living in reality. We think it's true. And yet once we see that, oh, I, I made that up, something very remarkable happens and we start to see how we have been thinking and creating what we think is reality our entire lives. So that's that's the first thing that the principles point to is we live in this thought-created world. The second thing is who we are, that we are one. And even saying one is one word too much because even one suggests that there, there could be others, but we are one being. We share our being with each other. 
So there are only in my in my sort of the way I see it, there's only two things that the principles point to it, which is we live in a thought created reality and we share our being. And those two things are, are enough. Knowing those two, two not even they're not even things, but knowing those two truths changes everything. And, and I've seen um, often that people get fascinated in the beginning, me too, with the whole, oh, I live in a thought-created reality. Wow, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. And then I see a lot of people stop there and go, oh, that, that, that's enough. But if they go to the second part, Sydney Banks' second enlightenment experience, where he saw the oneness, where he saw that we share our being, that's, I mean, that's, that's just, that really transforms people's lives. So I have a, a preference of going there first. When I, when I start my practitioner uh, trainings uh, or my grounding trainings, I, I love going there first. Like we share our being and trying to point people there in a very practical way. Like, because it, it sounds so fluffy and woo-woo and spiritual and I don't get it. And then I try to use some practical examples. For instance, I'll, because I had, I, for instance, I just did a, just finished a grounding training, which is five um, weeks uh, online uh, training. And one woman said, on the final one, she said, you know, you've been talking about the shared being the whole time. I don't get it. I don't, this that we are one and we all connected. She was kind of irritated with me. It was very funny. And I said, well, let me try and explain. She said, do you have children? She said, yeah, I have a daughter. I said, do you love her? She said, well, of course I do. I said, how do you know that? And she got quiet. And she understood that knowing that she loved her daughter was not about the intellect that there's something we can know that's beyond the intellect. And so, so something like that, like using a practical example that makes people go, oh, that's what it is. That's really what we're looking for because the intellect can never understand the formless. It, it just can't because it's, it's a form. It's a form of thinking. I, I love coming back to the everyday practicality of what this conversation is all about, because in my mind, it's not woo-woo. It's not fluffy. It's absolutely... Um, concrete would be the wrong word for it, but it is because it's formless, but is as solid as anything that's formless can be and as true as anything that formless can be. And it's practical. Yes. It's really practical. It, it, it's, 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 it's tiny things like I was looking for something um, uh, yesterday. I was running around looking for it. And I was so, because we were having uh, guests for lunch and I was sort of running around, I couldn't find it. And then at some point I went, wait a minute, I'm not going to find it when I'm running around. So I sat down, I got quiet and oh, it's there. And I went straight to the place where I put it. And it was on top of a, a large um, uh, cabinet. And there it was. And it was like, oh, that's, that's so practical that 
I know that when I get quiet, something will occur to me. So it's it's um it's not fluffy to me either. It's it's uh and I love that I can trust it. I it's the only thing I can trust. If if you remember back to to 2012, uh, one of the first thing that Michael said to us on the training, he started the training by saying, what's your grounding? What, what do you stand on? And, and I used to think that my grounding was my, my education as a psychotherapist or, you know, um, what I made, you know, my money status, or I wasn't married at the time, but it could be relationships or anything. And I, and and what I realized was all of those things can be taken away. How can I stand on something that can be taken away? Now, what's the only thing that cannot be taken away? My being. No one can take away my being. My being is not changed by divorce or going bankrupt or, um, you know, anything, being fired. It doesn't. My being is always here. It always has been and it always will be. So the only thing I can trust is actually my own being, our shared being, because it's the only thing that doesn't come and go. And it's very helpful. And that is very practical to know that we're always connected. I can trust it. So my, my, my grounding shifted from, well, at least what I thought it was, to being thinking that it was something from the outside to knowing that it's inside of me and that it cannot be taken away. Wow. That does something to people when they see that. And what I'm noticing more and more with corporate clients, because I still love playing in the corporate world for now. Um, is that they are looking for more and more of that solidity in their people that they are not going to get freaked out by change, as we've all experienced a lot of in the last few years, and how innately resilient we are. And the stuff that looks like I will do this, get this in order to feel resilient, to have solid ground is looking in an uncertain and untrue direction. And when people get a sense of what you've just said, that changes lives and changes yeah. businesses and performance. It's it's such a yeah, I did I did have 10 good years with the principles in the corporate world and oh I loved it. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, what I loved about it, I think mostly, was the way it challenges challenged me to take something fluffy, something spiritual, uh, uh, and to bring it into something that's so, you know, this is how it is, and these are what the needs we have, and and uh, and really take it to, because you, you, you kind of have to know what you're talking about and, and be absolutely certain, and then bring them examples that they can see, oh, oh yeah, it's true, I do get my best ideas when I'm in the shower or going for a walk with a dog. It's not when we're sitting there trying to find solutions to big problems. Oh yeah, hmm. And so I, I, to me, it was a fun challenge to try and find examples to help them see that we are lived by this 
spiritual energy. We are the three principles in action. And knowing that really makes a difference rather than not knowing it. So I'm glad you're still in the game, when. Yeah, but the caveat, because I still find it fun. Um, yes, oh, absolutely. The value set, personally. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So did you um, ever talk about being like that spiritual being in your corporate work? Yes, absolutely. How did you put words to that that they could hear? I, I couldn't tell you like one way that I did that. It would usually be a conversation that would appear out of a sense in the group of a falling into something that was deeper. And then I would point it out. So I, I wouldn't go into a, a training going, hey, we, are, we share our beings. We are all spiritual beings <laughs> having thoughts about the world. That's not how I started. But once you start talking about um, the spiritual nature, using practical examples, then it, they start becoming quiet. And when as they quiet down, and they start noticing that they have fresh thoughts and ideas. Then I pointed out, what was that? Where do you think that came from? That sense of knowing that you have right now, where do you think that comes from? And then it, of course, it turns out because corporate people are just people, you know, and just, a, they might have a tie on, they might not, but they're just people. So of course they know their own being. She pointed out point out their own being they they have children some of them and then you point out you know how do you know you love your children or your spouse they all know what beauty looks like well how do you know something is beautiful how do you know a sunset's beautiful you can't put words to it you just know it so i think i think the work that i do i did in corporations and the work i do today is absolutely the same it's really the same it's just the examples are different I, I always start trying to listen and hear as deeply as, as I can, what is the world view that you have at the moment? And then when people start seeing more falling into this space, then I go, what was that? Like I had a client um, the other day who started laughing, somebody who'd been depressed for many, many years. And I said, where did that laughter come from? Did, did it enter into you from somewhere different? And she went, no. I said, well, where, where did it go to when you stopped laughing? And she said, well, it didn't go anywhere. I said, no, it's, it's inside. It's still inside. So pointing things out with people as we're having the conversation is the way to do it. It's not a theory. It's, it's showing up in the moment, and I'm pointing it out in the moment so that it doesn't become a theory. It becomes an, a felt and known experience. Like, oh, yeah, I, I started laughing. It came from within. It didn't leave me. It must still be here. Wow, that must mean that I'm, I have joy inside. I'm not depressed. I'm not a depressed person. I have depressed thinking once in a while, and then I can laugh. So that it's always about being very, you know, in the moment with people, showing them what, as it's occurring to them. 
This has been lovely, Natasha. Always love listening to you. And I'm pretty sure that everyone listening right now and has got heaps from this. Especially as you became quiet and listened to what Natasha was pointing out within you. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you so much, Wynn. Thanks, Kate. Thank you for inviting me. I loved it. You've been listening to Under the Noise with our special guest, Natasha. Um, me, Wynn Morgan, and with Kate Roberts. And if there's anything that you want us to talk about in the future or questions that you have, or if you'd love to be a guest, please get in touch. Our contact details, as well as Natasha's, are at the end of this podcast and written out wherever you found um, today's podcast. And we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at katerobertscoaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.